everybody. Welcome to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the eighth episode of The Patient on Hulu. This episode is called Ezra. Just two episodes to go on this show. And this is a really, really good episode. <laughs> After all the negative things I've said about the show, <laughs> this was a very good episode. Uh, beyond that, uh, we will also be discussing this new show that's on Peacock. And everybody, you can watch this for free. The first episode is available for free. There's already four episodes out. They kind of got almost half the season <laughs> out all in one shot. And it's called A Friend of the Family. And I wanted to talk about this because just talking about our fixation on making shows about predators and just coming off of the massive success of the Dahmer show, which continues, Sona, to become incredibly successful. Now in three weeks, with just three weeks of viewership, it is now the second most successful, um, I guess, English language. So the third most successful behind only Squid Game, the most recent season of Stranger Things and Dahmer. That's the three most popular things that have ever been <laughs> on Netflix. Pretty shocking result. <laughs> and uh, also, I want to kick things off. Speaking of Ryan Murphy, who produced that show, this week, we really didn't know what we would be covering additionally beyond The Patient. For next week, we have a plan. <laughs> and everybody, I think everybody who's listening to this probably has a Netflix account or can get access to one. We are going to be watching, speaking of Ryan Murphy, a new show that he has coming out this week called The Watcher, based on a true story. Once again, very curious to see these true crime adaptations starring Naomi Watts and Bobby Carnavale, who was in uh, Nine Perfect Strangers, another show we covered here. And based on the show right here in our home, not hometown, but our home state of New Jersey, a crime that occurred in Westfield, New Jersey, and is an ongoing story. But I'm very curious to see like how the Ryan Murphy of this <laughs> is going to make this story, which is very ambiguous. I worry that it's, they're going to try to make it into like a slasher or something, but very curious to see that. And that will be premiering this Thursday. So everybody follow along, try to catch up on that because Sona and I will be discussing that series in full spoiler detail next week. That's your assignment, Sona, and everybody's assignment for next week. Thank you. I love it when it's clear what I'm supposed to be watching <laughs> because sometimes I do lose track. And available on Thursday, which makes it very convenient to you know, watch these. I think it's only five or six episodes of this show. Five episodes over the course of a weekend. Not too heavy a lift. So good for spooky season. Yes. Very, very spooky story. And I would tell people, avoid, definitely, especially after the show is on the air, I'm sure it will be significantly different from reality. So definitely check out this New Yorker article, which I'll include in the show notes next week. After you've watched the show, because you can get the actual context of it. But I would say don't read anything about this story before you watch the show. I think it'll definitely be creepier to just kind of put yourself in a very relatable experience of being a new homeowner <laughs> and being afraid of your own house. <laughs> I think it's very realistic. I mean, it actually happened, right? So <laughs> mm -hmm. I was fascinated yeah. with that story while it was in, in the news, by the way. Yes, I, I mean, it. it was so compelling. And it's so close to where we live. And as a mm -hmm. matter of fact, my wife's family comes from that town. So it was very, very close to home, basically. Yeah, so that's all next week. For this week, as I mentioned, we'll be discussing A Friend of the Family, available on Peacock. The first episode is available for free, by the way. Anyone can watch it without a subscription. But by the way, Peacock is offering their subscription for $1.99 a month. That's what they're, they're desperate for viewers right now. So hey, $1.99 a month, you get to see the Black Phone. If you haven't seen that yet, it's available exclusively on there. Uh, you get to see the new Jurassic Park movie just premiered on there, including a director's cut, a different alternate version of the movie. I mean, for $1.99, <laughs> I think it's worth it. I'm just saying. Right? <laughs> it's funny, the um, the personal math that we do, right, about <laughs> what's course. worth it and what's of not. Course. Even when it's an objectively small amount of money, sometimes we're like, on principle, I'm not paying that for this app. 
<laughs> I find it so funny. I will literally have that experience where I miss seeing something in the movie theaters and then I'll be like, oh, you know, because, you know, of COVID, those distribution windows are so much smaller now. Oh, it's available to rent now. I can watch it like Bodies, 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 which is now available to rent, I think, as of today. So everybody wants to watch it. It's still like a theatrical rental. So it's like $7.99. It's not like a discounted uh, rental. But I just find it very funny that I do that math sometimes and I'm like, oh, good. I can finally watch this at home. And I'm waiting for it to become available on streaming. I'll be like, oh, $5.99. It's still $5.99. <laughs> like I'm complaining about that. I'm like, I was planning to go see this in the theater. I would have spent like $20 between like popcorn and price of admission. But now $5 is too expensive all of a sudden. Out of the question. <laughs> Absolutely. I bought an app, um, a subway related app. I think it was $4.99, which seemed like a king's ransom at the time that I bought it. I probably use that app once every two weeks, and I probably had it for six or seven years. <laughs> right. For $5. A ripoff. Yeah. We just expect everything to be free nowadays, which is uh, we unfortunately do. the case. And I also recommend this for folks who do want to follow along with the things we're covering. I wanted to watch something on Shutter, So I literally installed Shutter. I had the free period of time that I could watch it. And uh, it's about to expire. So it's like only like $2 or something, including this coupon that I had. And I could share it. So I shared it with some of my friends, including my sister who watched the movie along with me. And I'm like, I just got to see a movie that at the time was still in movie theaters, but it was exclusively on Shutter. I'm like, I just spent like two bucks <laughs> to watch like all mm -hmm. of these movies. And then like I put it as part of my Apple subscriptions. So literally like at the end of the period of time where the discount was available, I just went into my Apple subscriptions and just turned it off. And I'm like, this is incredibly convenient. If someone wanted to say like, hey, I'm going to turn the subscription on for the next six weeks to watch along with these folks and then turn it back off again. It's like, it's so easy to do now. Honestly, I should be less of a penny pincher is basically what it comes down to. It's just a very strange mental map. I mean, I might spend, you know, a, a much, much larger amount on dinner the same week. You know, mm -hmm. that, but right. for some reason, that $1.99 is the make or break. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no, I think we all do it. I think we all do it. It's yeah. like, oh, another subscription? Yeah, <laughs> another one? exactly. It's like insult to injury. Exactly. <laughs> I already paid for the phone and the app. and <laughs> Exactly. I already paid like hundreds of dollars for the internet connection. And now. Yes. All right. So that will be coming later. And we're already running long, but I think it's going to be a very long episode. I have a lot of things to say about this episode and some other things I want to talk about before we even get into the episode breakdown. The first one is I want to recommend a series that is already doing very well on Netflix, and it's called Midnight Club. And this is one of the options I gave you to watch, Sona, but mm -hmm. I do want to call it out here briefly. It's an adaptation of a novel by Christopher Pike, a very popular novel of his, a young adult novel, and produced and directed partially and written partially by Mike Flanagan, who's had a really very successful relationship with Netflix. He has made a Stephen King adaptation, Gerald's Game, The Haunting of Hill House, which is a very, very popular show on Netflix, maybe one of their most popular. And just last year, he had Midnight Mass, which has nothing to do with Midnight Club, by the way, <laughs> despite the title similarity, and uh, was also very good, very Stephen King-ish. So I do recommend that if you want something scary to watch for Halloween. This show is really not that scary. The premise of it is that these are a bunch of kids who are in hospice. They're at this like beautiful like mansion, basically, where they live together. They basically are all dying of some disease, cancer mostly, and they uh, live in this uh, kind of beautific location. They're spending their time. They're just trying to live out these days as best as they can. And they get together every single night at midnight and they tell each other ghost stories, scary stories. Some of the stories are better. Some of them are worse. But even the bad stories are intentionally bad because what's happening within the context of the story is they're working out their own issues. Like they cast themselves 
as the roles inside those stories. There's basically a episode within each episode. So it feels like an anthology, but it also, those individual segments are building up the characters. You're seeing aspects of them. You don't see in their day to day through these stories. They tell some of the stories are kind of cheesy, but intentionally. So it's like, you know, a story a kid would make up. Mm -hmm. It's a very messy script, by the way, you know, you can imagine putting all these things together is kind of hard, but I have to tell you that I was really touched by the show over time that they're telling these stories and through these stories, they are helping each other get through these very difficult things. And they're also preparing themselves for this inevitable tragedy. It's coming and it's not sad. It's actually very uplifting in the way it deals with these very sad topics, but not in a negative way. And I would recommend this if you have like teenagers, they use the F word a lot. That's basically the only thing that's offensive here. Obviously, if you're dying of cancer, you might be a little angry sometimes. But other than that, you can really watch this with your teenagers. And I think that if you're looking for something that is scary, there's like a cult that's involved in this. There's a mystery that's being unfolded simultaneously. So there are these other elements to the story. But primarily, it's about these relationships, this friendship between these kids, which in some ways might be the same appeal that like, for example, Stranger Things has. So I'd say... It's something you can watch with your kids. It's not offensive other than some language every once in a while, but not that much of that either. But overall, I just was moved by the stories that these kids are telling and what it portends for them. Right. And it, like I said, not, it's not sad. It's not depressing. It's like uplifting in its own way. And I know you thought it was going to be a little depressing for you, Sona, right? <laughs> well, I mean, just your first intro into it about these kids in hospice. I mean, it just sounded kind of rough. <laughs> it doesn't shy away from any of that, by the way. But I just want to make it sound like it's not like misery porn, right? It's um... mm -hmm. no, that's fair. Yeah, I just um, I have strong feelings about watching stuff like that. So voluntarily subjecting myself to watching people in the dying process is not something I usually choose. Although every now and then I'm in the mood to cry, and I do. <laughs> right, to totally, <laughs> totally understandable. And what I would say is, it may sound, despite the horror elements of it. It may sound like something like The Fault in Our Stars or something, which is very mm -hmm, much wallowing mm -hmm. in the misery of this, this romance or something. Mm -hmm. And that's where I say the show does not really like aggressively pull on your heartstrings. It has some of the uplift of that and some of the tragedy of it, the sadness of it, without feeling like they're leaning into that too much. Right. So, like I said, I, I, I would recommend it, uh, especially if you're looking for something to watch with um you know like a teenage audience i think if mm -hmm, you have, you that have makes sense if teenagers in the house you want something you can watch together or if they're interested in watching it i'd say watch it with them it touches on a lot of themes of growing up accepting some harsh realities in life but in a way that is i think constructive and not negative so i recommend it i have another recommendation <laughs> we still can't Let's hear about it. this episode <laughs> this is not the kind of recommendation I usually make, but I wanted to recommend it because I think it, in a way, it thematically ties in with the patient. And this is a podcast called Heavyweight, which I highly recommend, the series in general, the whole podcast. And it's hosted by Jonathan Goldstein. It's, he's very comedic. And what they do in this show is people come to him with personal mysteries and he tries to unravel these personal mysteries and get to the bottom of something they can't solve on their own, either a tr problem they have or something that's never been resolved for them or discovered low stakes mysteries. And in this particular case, it is about this couple who ended up meeting in Jerusalem. They're both journalists. They, uh, this is like 30 years ago, went on one date and within a very short period of time, they fell in love, got married, etc. But on their very first date, they were sitting down to eat. And he was describing that his father had been one of the people who had patented the flavor of Captain Crunch cereal. So while he's telling his 
first date, eventual wife, this story, someone who's sitting next to them says, I know your dad. He lives in California. <laughs> what a crazy coincidence, right? But it turns out that he is completely alienated from his dad. His dad walked out on the family when he was seven years old. Over the course of that dinner, they talked to this woman as well. She takes a picture of them. So they wanted to get their hands on this picture, the picture of their very first date. Mm. But the problem is that they have like, he has absolutely no relationship. This is now 30 years later. He still has absolutely no relationship with his dad. And even though this episode is very funny, and even though this is very into the weeds with everything that's happening with tracking down this picture and these people's biographies and the, the method they go and who they interview to finally find this photograph, what's like subtext here is very tragic in the fact that this father who had parents who had been in the concentration camps, had survived the concentration camps, but somehow this, this is something touching back on what Sarah was talking about in our last episode, where she was talking about this intergenerational trauma that gets passed on from one generation to the next and how there's some of that in this series, The Patient. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but think about it as I'm listening to this podcast, where here's this dad whose parents were so traumatized from their experience, who could never be a father to his kids. And now how like from you see this going down from one generation to the next to the next. So it was very interesting to kind of put those two things in parallel, listening to that episode at the same time that I'm watching this show. And uh, that's podcast is called heavyweight it's the most recent episode i'll put a link to it inside of the show notes by the way it's the new episodes of heavyweight you can watch listen to heavyweight on any podcasting app but the latest episodes are available only on spotify so you'd have to go to spotify to check this out but hey you can listen to spotify for free as long as you're okay with listening to ads so i recommend that very highly and like i said it does some of the same things this show is trying to do maybe more effectively and more efficiently <laughs> just my own, own opinion <laughs> All right. One more thing to talk about, Sona. You've already seen this. We got an email that I wanted to touch on briefly. Honestly, I was going to excerpt the email more and go into some of these finer points, but I think so much of the things that matter in my response to that email will be fleshed out in this specific episode. I think that all these things that have kind of been bubbling under on the show have kind of come to the surface. So I think we can address them over the course of our recap. But I wanted to touch on a couple of things. It's uh, from Michael in Pennsylvania. And uh, he touched on a few things that I personally do not have any experience with therapy, but you do, Sona. So I do want to ask you I some have questions. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to I've run some things by you based on what happens in this particular episode. Once again, rather than talking about these things, directly addressing the uh, email, maybe not coincidentally at all, uh, this episode delves into almost all these topics in greater detail. But a second point that was brought up there was that I lack context for um the Jewish perspective on the show, which I completely agree with, by the way. And we I do both think- do, absolutely. <laughs> true. And I think that one thing that I probably have been a little cavalier about, to be honest, in my own self-critique on this, is that I have definitely talked about the Jewishness of the show and some of the themes here as almost like background to the show. And I think that I may have come off a little flippant in that, but the reality is I'm completely aware, even before this week's episode, that- Judaism and conflict between Orthodox and uh, Reformed or less strict followers of the religion and that tension within every religion, by the way, it happens with there are people who are barely practicing as Protestants and then other people within the same denomination that might be born against or something, right? So there's always this tension. It's something that I don't have a lot to offer insight into. And I think that's why I haven't really talked about it. 
same. Um, you know, I'm one of those people that like that stereotypical, stereotypical expression of like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right. Fair to say that we probably are not giving that the attention it deserves. But then I think also fair to say, my understanding is like, this is intended to be viewed by all sorts of people with all sorts of backgrounds and different people are going to take different things from it. I know even in my own experience, there's a specific movie that I can even cite that I watched when I was um, about 20 years old. And then I watched it again about 15 years later. And the movie had a completely different meaning to me than it had when I was 20. You know, I said like, oh, you know, at the time I thought this was a movie about X, but in fact, it's a movie about Y because your life experience and your perspective changes, right? Um, At the same time, I do think we lack that. I also think that doesn't mean our perspective is not valuable in its own way. I totally agree. But also I wanted to mention that I do think that I have skipped some of that analysis because I don't feel like I have the correct context for it. I also feel that the show itself probably hasn't done a really good job of giving me the interpretation I'm supposed to pursue. Let's put it that way. But sometimes you need your handheld a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. But I would say it's interesting to have gotten that email just last week because I think the show itself has made a huge corrective in this specific episode Mm -hmm. of, you know, addressing Mm -hmm. almost all these things. So that's why Mm -hmm. we can actually touch on each one of these themes as we go into the episode itself, (laughs) just to to get the rest of the house cleaning out of the way. Make sure you subscribe. We continue to talk about this show, two more episodes, also talking about House of the Dragon, two more episodes of that. And we will also have a bonus episode this week where we talk about Andor and we talk about the wrap-up of She-Hulk, a very controversial season of TV, by the way, so and I know you missed the whole thing, but She-Hulk's been a surprisingly controversial show. Uh, and I have lots of for it. <laughs> intentionally so, right? It's like trolling, trolling the trolls is basically what the show's <laughs> been doing. And the trolls have been very angry about it. <laughs> and we'll talk about all that probably Friday or Saturday. Expect to see that episode. And maybe I'll even throw in a review there of the new Halloween movie. Maybe. Wow, there's just so many things going on. It's Halloween season, everybody. Love it. And of course, I think we are better for receiving that email and addressing it here. And I think talking to those points. So please reach out to us. We definitely appreciate all your feedback. It makes us better at what we're trying to do here. So, Absolutely. I'm sorry, Ezra. I'm sorry. For? For not being the father that I... Charlie. I have been more understanding, more compassionate to a fucking serial killer than I was to my own son. He has to hear this from me. Two beds are going to die here. All right. So finally, this episode was a big lead up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This episode, Ezra. We open, it's Sam, he's at work, and we see that one of his coworkers, is, she's upset. She has got to go back out to Chapman Hills. <laughs> one more digression again. I started Googling Chapman Hills, Lincoln County, trying mm-hmm. to find out where this place might be. And a couple of things, I always assumed this was on the West Coast based on the look of the show. It was shot in California. And mm-hmm. by the way, there is no such thing as Chapman Hills in California. There's no such thing as Lincoln County in California. But there's like Chapman Hills is... 
a town in near Sacramento and Lincoln is a town near Sacramento. So I think they're like, it, it's supposed to be a fictional area in California is my read on this. I can go with that. I don't think it's that important either. So fine. in a different context, it could be more important, but yeah. <laughs> when 90% of the show is set in the house, it really doesn't <laughs> Inside matter. the basement, exactly. Right. <laughs> But she's going back out after just one and a half weeks. Interesting, it's one and a half weeks later. He had complained about having to go back out and do an inspection at uh, Elias's restaurant one and a half weeks later. So this seems to be a pattern. I'm not sure why it's one and a half weeks. But the point is that traditionally it's eight months later. That's the mm -hmm. traditional calendar. So he's seeing a pattern here that his manager is sending people out for these reappraisals a little too quickly. Mm-hmm. And this starts to get under his skin. It's not the first time that Kyle, I think is the manager's name, does this. In general, he just doesn't like any kind of disruption to his pattern or any kind of rules. Has very strict rules to follow. Yeah. And the idea, right, that he must be taking bribes or whatever. Because, yes. Yeah. He, he, he believes that, right? He confronts him about mm. it much later in the episode. But he does confront him right away and starts just asking him, why is that the case? And the boss goes, just you, you know, let me do my job. And you do your job uh, and you're good at your job, except for talking to your boss. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little jab there. Meanwhile, I think probably the most fascinating part of this whole entire show is Alan's breakthrough here with his own internal monologue going with um, his phantom analyst, which, by the way, he is also filing. I had to go on Reddit to find out what he was filing here. It's his foot lotion cream. Did you know this, Sona? The tube, yes. It's the tube of the foot lotion. Did you know that? Somehow I did. I don't know how <laughs> I had to, I had to look it up on Reddit. I had to look it up on Reddit, which was funny because I remember thinking about this just tangentially. Like one of the very first things we see Alan do in this whole entire show is put foot lotion on. <laughs> Talk about foreshadowing. I mean, the thing is that this tube, is it a prescription tube? Because things don't generally come in a tube like that from the drugstore that has those sharp edges. I think it's a, a prescription tube because I have okay. like a steroidal cream also that I, I need to use. And it's like, in yeah, a tube prescriptions like come yeah. like that. Yeah. But the second thing I was going to mention, the second time I thought about this too before now was I found it very funny when you see him, you know, have his routine in the basement as well. And he's putting the foot lotion on. And I'm like, how considerate of Sam <laughs> to bring mm -hmm. all his prescriptions with him. Mm -hmm. And how did he know? <laughs> like, did he like, and I'm trying to think about the logistics of this. Did he like knock out Alan, throw him into the car, then break into his house? I mean, he wouldn't have to break in, right? He could just use his keys or just walk in the door if he left it open and then go to like his medicine cabinet and grab everything that has a prescription on it. Is that what you think happened? It here? raises questions. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I wasn't clear either on how that tube got into the house. Regardless, this is um, Chekhov's gun. This is Chekhov's uh, foot, lo cream. <laughs> foot lotion, <yes. laughs> foot lotion bottle. Foot cream, yeah. <laughs> <Tube. laughs> Back to <laughs> less of those mm. questions and more of the really strong part here. It's interesting. We hear the scraping in the background as he's having this fantasy sequence with Charlie, his therapist, uh, which just means that he's just probably laying in bed, thinking about this all day long and making that tube like razor sharp, which I am very encouraged to see him doing that because I do assume he's going to try to use that as a shiv at some point in the future. That's my assumption. More importantly, you know, going back to the analysis he's doing or that self-analysis, we see that he and we are starting to understand some of the things we raised last week in, in the way he told these stories that, you know, why did he bring up specifically that, that the wife was insulted by this compliment about the kosher steak? Or why did he bring up that the, do that the donation to the, the, the yeshiva? Like, you know, I did something good and he, you know, wouldn't accept it. 
And now we start seeing a little more detail. He's second guessing himself and he's starting to realize all these microaggressions that are in this, right? We see that he says it's the best kosher steak he's ever had, right? Like he couldn't just say it was the best steak. So why did he have to qualify it as a kosher okay, steak? So this specific thing, I will just add, despite my lack of familiarity with Judaism, mm -hmm. you know, I do have some familiarity living in New York City. And actually I have been to a kosher steakhouse and I actually did find it was not a typical steak to me. It was slightly yeah. different. So I could understand why somebody in a vacuum, not taking right. into account all the different family dynamics at play here, right. might say this was the best kosher steak. I found it defensible. I'm not saying yeah. it was a good yeah. idea, <laughs> but I could understand why in your mind, those might be different categories. I think intentionally, that's kind of how I read it last week. Like, you know, it could be a very yes. innocent thing. But I think the fact that once again, this is not even a real analyst doing this. This is him interrogating himself. And the yes. fact that he's calling out these things to himself, why did I have to True. say kosher steak? And, and not only that, like you see his own bias here. He's telling Charlie, imagine this. I'm going to this Orthodox yeshiva. Imagine you went to visit your kid who had become a Scientologist, right? Equating so, it to a cult. Exactly. Yes. Which he's called it a cult before, right? He, I think so. Yeah. I last think week, so. I think. Yeah. You know, I think he is starting to reveal himself that or admit to himself, even in these interactions that he had been making these microaggressions towards his son and his son was picking up on it. It's interesting that they don't show the ice cream scene until later, which we're going to cover in just a second, because I think that is more telling than anything else. We had seen a flash to it previously, right? Yeah. Wasn't that the same scene from a few episodes ago or was that a different dessert? Yeah, I think that they showed maybe the beginning of the scene before, but yeah, I, I right. couldn't figure out why they were right. showing the scene, basically. It seemed like a happy scene, basically, to have them all there. And No, and they, at the time I took from it, like she wasn't perfect here. She was specifically doing this as a passive aggressive thing. I remember thinking that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so now we just see more detail there for yeah. sure. So very importantly here, we do see, going back to your theory that Ezra's going to be the one who rescues his dad, we see Ezra putting up flyers everywhere. Yes. It, how, I mean, I, I felt such fondness for Ezra there. Oh, yeah, I know. And it's just so interesting. I think the show, once again, speaking of how it's doing something really terrific in this particular episode, is turning this around. And suddenly, you know, we've been seeing Ezra from his dad's point of view and now suddenly seeing, you know, everybody, it's kind of like we really need to give everyone their empathy. It's really what this show is about to a large extent. And now we're seeing the world through Ezra's eyes. I mean, the episode's called Ezra, right? Mm -hmm, and and you mm -hmm. see that, of course, this is all different from Ezra's point of view. I always go back to how much I love that old Showtime series, The Affair. Mm -hmm. It's so rare that and the dynamic between two people is just the result of one person's action. It's always a two-way street in some way, regardless of who kicked off the dynamic. It's always a two-way street and the two people are always going to see things completely differently. Not always going to see things completely differently, but often when there is tension, both people have valid points. Or even when you agree on something, you find out, you know, usually you don't an interrogate things very much when you agree on something with somebody. Right. And then Fair. years later, yes. <laughs> years later, you like tell the story to each other and you realize you that you both agreed, but you were coming at it from a different direction. You're like, yes. oh, I didn't realize that's why you said yes. yes. <laughs> but I think it's just, you know, that's just the thing that we do as people. Yep. Okay. I do want to call out something here. Speaking of the kind of Jewish themes of this show, and I don't think this is a mistake. 
while he's putting up the flyers, I'm very much a music nerd as well, as you know, and I don't get to talk about music here enough, but I do want to call out this song. So we hear, as he's putting up the flyers, a Bob Dylan song, a Bob Dylan song, which is Mama, You've Been On My Mind. Now, importantly, Mama, You've Been On My Mind, that song is actually a song he wrote for a girlfriend, right? So it's not, mm -hmm, it's a romantic mm -hmm. song. It's not Mama, but it is like a chaste romantic song. It's mm -hmm. like one of those cringy romantic songs. So you could read it as just like, he's just saying this as a term of affection. As a matter of fact, we're seeing him put up flyers of his dad, right? right. Saying, Mama, You've Been On My Mind. But of course, via his dad, and we see later on, because he revisits his mom's death as well, he probably has been thinking about losing his dad. And of course, via yes. that losing his mother as well. So mama, you've been on my mind. But very importantly, Bob Dylan was born to a devout Jewish family. I did not know that. And then in the mid 70s, he became a born again Christian. So became a very strict. Yeah. <laughs> he put out three gospel albums and he refused to play his secular music from before. And then about 10 years after that, another 10 years go by, and he goes and visits the Wailing Wall. He goes on a pilgrimage. He reconnects with his Jewish faith. He never does anything in half measure, this guy. <laughs> and he has uh, Jacob, you know, his son who's in- uh, The Wallflowers. All his sons get bar mitzvah as well. And once again, I think that that's not accidental that they're putting a Bob Dylan song in here. Someone who has a journey in his own faith as well, right? Right here with Ezra, who is in some ways here, we see openly uh, questioning some of the decisions he's made with his faith and uh, his family as well. And then we also see, I think this is a really, really great scene that shows and does not tell. They bring out the ice cream mm -hmm. to Shoshana's kids. They're eating it right in front of mm -hmm. Ezra's kids. The Ezra's kids have paper plates, by the way. This is something I'll include in the show notes as well. I'm actually going to read from it later on an article in the Jerusalem Times about the Jewish themes of this show, including an interview, which I do want to read some excerpts from the interviews with the show creators. And they talked about how they had someone on set who mm. was fact-checking all the details, right. you know, the decorations, everything. And they specifically said that they had to be served on paper plates because it's you, not a kosher kitchen. Exactly. So you can't use the implements yeah. or the plates. Mm -hmm. And now that explains mm -hmm. why they had to use a plastic knife that they brought themselves when they cut the cake in an earlier. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So all those details are so specific, but most importantly is Ezra, his face seeing this happen and looking at his dad and his dad just looking at him and you can almost read their faces. This is where the spite comes from on Ezra's side, the feeling of those microaggressions. This is more than a microaggression, I think. I agree. <laughs> and the dad looking at him, not like, I'm sorry, this is happening. His dad looking at him being like, and this is what you get. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that is very telling right there. We're actually reliving this memory. It's hard to tell at this middle point of the episode, are we seeing this from Ezra's point of view or the dad? Because we, now we cut back to the dad, but we were just inside of Ezra's mind. So it's almost like they're sharing this memory at this time. Yeah, maybe one of the rare times that people do remember something exactly the same way. <laughs> <laughs> potentially, potentially. Directly of this kind of intersectional memory that Ezra and Alan are both having, we see Alan back in his therapy session, and he's still making the argument that He's always felt that Beth and Ezra were so similar, right? They both were into music. They both were so religious, right? And they had their own forms uh, and, and obstinate about their observancy of that religion. Observancy? Observance? <laughs> Don't know observance. What observance. Yeah. You know, being right all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says, but maybe, just maybe, 
he's wrong about this, right? Maybe he's the one who always thinks he has all the answers. He wrote the books. He's the mm-hmm. one who's maybe been imposing this obstinacy on them. And it's his own obstinacy that he's seeing, maybe reflected, obviously, back from his son, but also he's participating in this in a way that he's not the victim here is basically what it comes down to. This could be it, Alan. Take a flyer. Fine, I had all the answers. I wrote the books. Rigid know-it-all Ezra is as much my kid as Beth's. More. I did look down on him, on his religious choices. I have been blaming him. Blame and... Contempt? Yes, contempt. He must have felt it. All of it. And here's the question I wanted to ask you at the top of the episode. Based on your experience with therapy, and maybe I'm overanalyzing the show at this point, but maybe I'm right as well. The frustration I had with the show, and this was back to the email, by the way, because this was called out by Michael in his email as well, that maybe my frustration was the show with the show was that I felt like we weren't making enough progress. And now we have this breakthrough. And my question for you is, is this like a metaphor for therapy where you feel like you're getting nowhere and then you have a breakthrough? It's not something I've had. I mean, I guess I've had these types of breakthroughs when I'm just reflecting with myself, which is, I guess, my form of therapy. But is this something you think maybe is intentional in the structure of the show? That is really interesting. I hadn't considered it, but I think it can be. I mean, I think I have had a similar type of breakthrough. You know, therapy is such a complicated thing in my experience. And I've had more bad therapists than I've had good therapists, or at least therapists that I didn't gel with. Let's not say that they were bad objectively. With the ones I didn't gel with, I never had that type of breakthrough. And I felt like the sessions were very like, I was just talking to a blank wall and that Mm -hmm. was it. The last therapist I had, the one that I did gel with, I feel like I had, you know, several moments like that with her where just talking through things with her and her, you know, prompting me with certain questions or saying certain things in response to what I said um, really changed my perspective on, uh, to be honest, what my whole life had been. Wow, that's pretty powerful. It can be that. Um, Whether it was like purposefully constructed that way, I I have to think about that a little bit longer. But I think it's a true depiction of the kind of um, epiphany that you can have when certainly like a different perspective clicks into place that makes a lot more sense than how you've been thinking about it this whole time. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying that the show in a way maybe is clever enough to be giving us that experience. I feel like we had to pay a price for it, but possibly. But isn't that what therapy's like? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the point. Therapy is very expensive. (laughs) And you do have to go through a lot of pain to get through that breakthrough. So yes, you pay emotionally and financially. (laughs) And the $4.99 a month for your Pulu with commercials or $9.99 without. (laughs) (laughs) He has his breakthrough and then he says, I have to tell Ezra this. I've been so wrong Mm -hmm. about this my whole entire life. You know, he's really having this this moment, this revelation. 
And Charlie just goes, too bad you're going to die down here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I guess is motivating that, uh, you know, uh, the, the building of the a tube, the tube to knife conversion. The ointment tube, yes. <laughs> I mean, the way he puts it is so stark, right? Like I've had more empathy or sympathy. I can't remember the exact word Mm -hmm. he used for a serial killer than I've had for my own son. You can imagine the guilt you would feel at like realizing something like that, that that the understanding you're offering to people every day, you are never able to offer to your own child. This is something I think about with like my wife is in medicine. So she has a lot of friends who are doctors. And it's that whole idea of like, doctor, heal life thyself. I find it so interesting. It's not just with doctors. I hear it with people who I work with as well, who have expertise in certain things. And I think it's what we're seeing here with Alan as well. You are distanced from it. Like you are in the context of your job. You can be this very open-minded, very perceptive person because you have a distance from what you're doing. But like in their own personal lives, they do not see the irony of what they're doing day to day. I think that's kind of what we're seeing here as well. This empathy to a serial killer and yet this is something that he has denied his son this whole entire time. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, Sam has been stalking his uh, employer this whole entire time. Interestingly here, I, I don't know what this means. Maybe you have a read or maybe we can save it for the end. But he sees that the guy likes, to, he's basically like a hobbyist at probably like in a club where they play ping pong. So he goes mm-hmm, to watch this mm-hmm. guy play ping pong. Once again, very important because it's going to come up again at the end of the episode. And uh, once he comes out and he's alone, he pretends to run into him on the street and goes, hey, you know, I need you to come check out this restaurant that I looked at before. And the boss is like, you're not working right now, are you? Because you're not supposed to be checking out these places. And he says, oh, no, no, it's just I just happened to be there. I need you to come check this out with me. He confronts him there and he starts saying exactly what you mentioned at the top of the episode. Are you taking bribes? Uh, what's going on? And uh, he basically says, "If you, you must be an idiot if you think I'm taking bribes, which sets off Sam and Sam strangles him to death. Yeah. Why now, this guy was not suspicious of the fact yes. that Sam was wearing <laughs> leather gloves on what <laughs> right. seems to be a very mild night. I feel like it should have at least struck him as strange to the point he made a comment about it or asked a question about it, but neither here nor there, because we all know how this ends out. And on the one hand, you could read this as saying that he got set off by being called an idiot, but he's already lured him to this garbage dump. Like, I mean, how is he going to get himself out of that situation? He obviously was planning to kill him (laughs) right away. Right. After killing him, and, and I can't get a read on this either, he tries to say the Kaddish over the body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't, there's nothing I should have done a better job of last week. You know, I used to go and try to break down what is the literary context for this title? Why do they call this title this thing? And uh, I kind of didn't, do, haven't been doing that recently, but importantly, last week's episode was called Kaddish. And mm-hmm. what is interesting about the, um, the prayer itself, and let me read you from this Jerusalem Times article, what the showrunner actually said about it. I remember my dad telling me about the Kaddish when I was very young. It's not like he sat down and explained prayers to me, but I remember him saying that it was a prayer that began as students giving thanks for their teachers. And then it became something that we said to give thanks for everybody, for those who meant something to to our lives. And this is Joe Fields saying this, and it was a prayer of thanks, not a prayer of loss. And that always stuck with me. So I just find it interesting that he is making this, you know, as one of the writers of the show is making this prayer so central thematically to multiple episodes here. And once again, now we have Sam saying this prayer over this body. Like, how do you read that? Is that remorseful? Is What is he doing there? I, I, I honestly can't. I mean, not only Sam doing here, but what is trying to be conveyed? 
my guess, and it is a guess, is that he's immediately feeling regret for what he's done is trying and trying to atone for it somehow um, in this small way. I mean, we, we've talked about this before, this theme of Judaism here. And like, again, you know, he, it seems so important to him to have a Jewish yeah. therapist, yes. but he also wow. does not know this prayer, right. cannot finish this prayer. Yep. So like, how are we reconciling these things? It's just unclear to me. Um, but I do think the intention was some sort of atonement, I would guess. I'm not sure either. Maybe, maybe it, things will become clear once we understand the Jewish connection to Sam, which may not be revealed until much later on. But I'm still confused about that and not sure exactly how we're supposed to read this scene. Like I said, Sam's intentions, but more importantly, I'm not sure what the show's author's intentions are as well. By the way, we do see another very touching scene here where, so <laughs> Ezra, maybe <laughs> we're reading everything here, but Ezra is <laughs> driving to his you know, childhood home and mm-hmm. uh, he's listening to Paul Simon, a secular Jew mm-hmm. <laughs> on the radio. And uh, it's uh, so he's just, I mean, not that we have to read everything in those terms. Paul Simon, in other words, would probably be an artist that his mom, for example, would listen to. So I think that and probably something that he doesn't listen to on a regular basis in an Mm -hmm. orthodox house. So it's just Mm -hmm. him reconnecting with that part of himself, I think. And you could call me Al is the song he's listening to. Al, Alan, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) You're building something here and it's going to end with John Denver. And I'm just not sure where you're going to go with that. But let's let's talk it through. (laughs) Oh, the road, the road, that, that country roads. (laughs) <laughs> does ends with John Denver. He's, he's not he's not Jewish, right? <laughs> Maybe that's the transfer transformation, right? You go someone who was like devoutly Jewish to someone who was you know secularly Jewish to someone who's not Jewish at all. Maybe that's Ezra's journey is being told in these songs. I don't think so. I don't think so. That's, that's not an accurate read. <laughs> Uh, but he does go back into his um, his home. He picks up his mom's old guitar and he starts playing Country Roads, like you mentioned. All oh, this is really nice. Once again, I'm sure a song that his song his mom used to play, a song he used to play with his mom. So all of this is really, really beautiful. And he's a pretty good singer, this guy. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was very moving. I thought the way he was looking at the chair where his dad was sitting, mm-hmm. all of it, I thought was really <clears throat> well done and like this is, you know, the most emotion I felt about anything while watching this show. I will reserve my criticisms for the end as, and maybe at the end of the whole show at this point, rather than rehashing some of that, you know, maybe we needed all that other stuff to get here. I don't think we needed all those episodes or, you know, I feel the same, (laughs) but, but regardless, but this was great. This is an excellent episode Mm -hmm. of television. We spent some more time with Ezra here as well, but before we get to that, we see that Sam calls Mr. Buccelli, Buccella, what he calls his uh, old counselor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the counselor says, you know what? I've been thinking about what you said. I think we can start th- therapy sessions next Tuesday, which might mean Uh-oh. the clock is ticking. <laughs> the clock is ticking. <laughs> they can't share a bed down in that basement. So. <laughs> a couple of things happen here with Ezra. I think these are two separate scenes, but maybe I'm conflating them. They definitely are two different scenes, but I want to get your read on both of them. One is that he comes home with Candy. Mm-hmm. and he gives it to the kids and while he's kind of shakily unwrapping the candies you see the older son kind of mm-hmm. storms out and goes upstairs and then Ezra goes upstairs and just sits with him so what was your read on this was he bring because the the wife seemed wary about him bringing the candies in the house but I mean if the candy is kosher the kids can eat it which right? they made clear it was kosher yeah okay so yeah so I'm not sure why 
it was so disturbing to the mom, other than maybe that's just like not regular behavior for him. And they just feel like he is just trying to gloss over this terrible thing that's happening to them. Is that what you, is that the general read you have for it? This was such a complicated scene to me. And yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I fault the construction of the scene, unless it's supposed to be this confusing, um, which I can't rule out. Maybe we're supposed to be puzzled or maybe there is something about Judaism that I don't know that makes this make sense somehow, quite possible. But here, like I was just left with questions about, well, why is the older son so upset? And is it the candy or is it the circumstance or is it Mm -hmm. the way that the dad has been dealing with all of this? Exactly. Because Alan didn't have a good relationship with these kids. I'm sure they are concerned, but I don't think it's like, oh my gosh, dear old grandpa, what's happened to him? Because they just never built that relationship or connection. Although again, I'm sure they are worried that he's missing. I'm not (laughs) trying to dismiss that. It raised so many more questions than it answered. Yeah. I was confused by this too. I couldn't read it uh, clearly. And I think intentionally they're leaving it ambiguous, maybe too ambiguous for Mm -hmm. me. But like you said, hey, anybody out there who can provide some clarity... I thought that maybe he was introducing non-kosher food. And of course, that would be a disruption to the family or, and would be more worrying than anything else, just seeing him be kind of erratic this way. You know, so anybody who's got additional clarity, a point of clarity on this, please reach out to us. Need some introduction at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. Separate from that, you know, we I think it's probably these two scenes are separated, definitely separated by another Sam sequence here in between. But we also see Ezra comes home at a different point in time. He's probably been out and about putting up flyers again. And he goes and sees his wife. There's Importantly, there's like an insert shot where we see that the picture of Beth and Alan is out prominently displayed. Yes. I don't know if that's a yes. recent thing that's happened right. you know, now he has it, or if uh, not, but it's, I think, telling that it's out there. What's happening with the police? Are they not involved in the disappearance of this guy who like, I mean, this should be a police investigation at this point, shouldn't it? He's been gone for a while. I have to assume that there is a police investigation ongoing. It's just not something that is important to the show at this moment, I think. You know, I don't think that's the type of show it is. It's probably more about these interpersonal reactions. You're like just a throwaway line here. Yeah. You know, the police don't seem to care or something, you know? Um, or, or yeah, the wife just saying, did you have the police called or something? Yeah, like that, right? something. But okay. Anyway, I agree with that. I think that's a good I point, digress. actually. <laughs> I think that's actually a good point. Not that, that we would have the cops interviewing him or something or Shoshana, but I do think, yeah, why wouldn't he walk in the door and his wife just be like, is there any news? <laughs> you know, like just that. Right. And like the police don't seem to care. They're not worried. Something, right? Like just to throw away to acknowledge that this is a thing that like they have reported it. And, right. You know, um, they're not, it's not just a grassroots thing of stapling up flyers, neither here nor there. Go ahead. I- Well, I have a theory on that, too. I have a feeling that given where this episode lands, that a police investigation will start to escalate in the background of this show. It's the murder of this uh, health inspector. And and now anybody who's saying, who's this guy? Okay, this guy works at this place. Hold on a second. Didn't all these people die around restaurants? They worked at restaurants. This guy, okay, let's take a look at places they inspected. Wait a second. This guy inspected these places within a few months of them dying. And now this guy's dead. So I think the, the circle is, you know. Closing in. It's going to start closing in. Exactly. And the reason I bring that up is it goes back to my theory that this really feels like it was a movie that was chopped up because in a movie, you can kind of save the investigation for the end. Like then you introduce the characters. But once again, I think it's kind of a misstep 
for people who wrote a very, very long-running TV show, by the the way, you do need those little breadcrumbs here and there in these different episodes because you can't just assume like, oh, don't worry, <laughs> in episode two that this doesn't make any sense. We'll address it in episode nine. <laughs> it's like, that's a long time to wait for an answer, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that might be a part of that structural issue the show has. But importantly, he, he returns home. Uh, his wife sees that he's worried again. And the first thing he says is that he... I forget the terminology is obviously he's speaking Yiddish, I believe, but it basically means that he did not show there's a, this concept of showing the proper respect for your parents. And he's basically mm-hmm, saying like, mm-hmm. I did not do that. And she goes, Oh, you're being too hard on yourself. And he says, no, thinks that, you know, when his mom died, he says that Alan, he was so harsh the way that he spoke to him that he just got angry. And then he mm-hmm. responded to his dad in an angry way. So now we're seeing the two sides of that interaction mm-hmm. we described before. He probably lost his mother, obviously lost his mother, was alienated from his mother. And now he's like putting, he had put all of that on his dad. And now the thought that he's going to lose his dad also, even though he's blaming his dad for the alienation from the mom, that now it's like, he, it's so stark now that he's losing both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, probably really troubling him. And once again, I thought this was just such a really great scene to tie that all together. I thought it was really beautifully done, um, like so many other parts of this episode, honestly. Gosh, regret can be so painful, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. I agree. And I think that's what they're playing with here. Yeah. Then Sam comes home. He adds his wallet and his watch to his collection. And then he asks, Alan, do you play ping pong? <laughs> so maybe I'll just bring up the ping pong thing now. Why? What, <laughs> what? is the paralleling of the ping pong, right? <laughs> do you have any no reason to explain? no no none <laughs> it made me think though because i'm thinking did he I'm trying to recreate someone who's about to die his last moments i, I don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know if it, this is a bizarre sort of empathy that he's trying to create with kyle that he just killed or the, it made me think about something else too is like you know d- did he like stalk kyle in the past and then try to get good at ping pong so he could ingratiate himself with Kyle or something. And like, so it just made me think about all these things. And I don't think there's any answer here, unfortunately. Yep. Yet another thing that just leaves us wondering. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it will become clear later. And now we get to the whole end game of the episode. Alan wins at ping pong, but loses everything else. <laughs> he tells him that he has killed Kyle. He tells him that this isn't working. I've never killed two people in three days. <laughs> He goes, this is worse than ever. (laughs) You have actually made the situation worse, Alan. (laughs) I can't believe this plan to have you move in with me, chain you to the furniture has not worked out. This should be chilling, but it's actually just depressing to me when he says, I've never had to kill someone I liked before. I like you, Dr. Strauss, but this is not working. I like you too, Sam. I think, I think maybe it was a mistake to bring you here. I just, I assumed it would work. So I didn't think about... I've never hurt anyone that I liked before. Guess you can't help me with that. Look, I, I don't, I don't want to. I really, I do not want to. It's not the kind of person that I am in terms of what I want to do but if I have to if there's just no other way and I have to do it to you how would you want me to 
and uh, Alan tells a joke. <laughs> this is a great joke. It's a great it's joke. A great joke. <laughs> <laughs> and this is actually, you know, some of the parts of the episode are a little badly written. This was very well written in this very blackly. And I, I feel like Steve Carell did a great job yes. here too with the delivery of it. But I also love the little interruption where he starts telling the joke. And mm -hmm. first of all, Sam really is like saying like, oh, I've never heard that joke. He's trying to be polite about hearing the joke mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. in the middle of telling this guy he's about to be executed. <laughs> so it's very interesting the kind of like the polite factor here in the middle of this conversation. Sam interrupts him and says, I'm getting a new therapist, <laughs> which is a joke <laughs> in and of itself. And then we get the punchline of the joke. And of course, the very, very importantly, we cut the black on that, but we hear the scraping the scraping mm -hmm. of Chekhov's foot lotion. Bottle. He's beginning to understand he needs to save himself here. Exactly. There's no one coming. That's Maybe right. Are, but he better take some action because it's getting close. Mm -hmm. So next week, no coming attractions. We don't know what's going to happen next week. But I do, like I already hinted at before, I think the cops are going to be closing in. There's just an inevitably going to be too many loose ends that he's left. And too many clues. Yeah, just like the, yeah. the connection between the the victims i think is going to be mm -hmm. telling so anything else any closing uh no i mean just you know generally speaking i really like this episode this is the type of thing that on um, you know my personal interest level like it hit a lot of those marks of like interpersonal relationships family dynamic being introspective telling a story in an interesting way unfortunately i felt like it was an aberration for this series to have an episode like this, but I did really enjoy it. <laughs> right. I did want to call out something from this. Once again, I'll include this in the show notes, the article from the Jerusalem Post. Some of the excerpts I wanted to include here. One of them I think is interesting. It does tie back to something I was saying that maybe thematically they're playing with, you know, the whole Nazis on campus uh, thing and maybe parallels between the fact that Ezra was so obstinate about his beliefs and this serial killer, of course, much more severe, has his own very rigid code of conduct. This is Joe Fields saying in this interview, I think on some level consciously and on some level unconsciously, we were dealing with general and specific themes of intolerance. And it seems interesting to explore the challenges of differences that from the outside might seem relatively small, but from the inside seem like a chasm. Now, he's talking about intolerance specifically in the rifts that occur in families when someone becomes orthodox or someone is in an orthodox family and becomes reformed and you know not as orthodox. So when you have these rifts in just behavior and the way that they practice their religion, which could cause schisms. But I think the fact that he's talking about how this show is in some way about intolerance, Sam has obviously these very strict codes of conduct that he thinks that people are violating. And that's the excuse he makes. You know, It's probably not valid, but it's the excuse he makes in being able or allowing himself to murder them. Justification. Yeah. 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 Justification. Yeah, exactly. All right. So very much looking forward to the next episode. There's only two to go. So we're so close to the end now. And if they're as good as this, I, I'm very much looking forward to it now. So I've come around. I'm still not going to say those. A lot of those earlier episodes were great, <laughs> but I am happy we've gotten to this episode, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And last week's episode was very good too, I would say. Not this one's even better. This is much this is definitely mm -hmm. the best episode we've had. Yeah. Totally agree. But it's coming off of a strong episode to, to boot. True. Three men were sentenced to death, and they are told that they can choose their form of execution. The Frenchman says, I choose the guillotine. So they build a guillotine, and they chop off his head. 
the Englishman says, I choose the firing squad. So they get together a firing squad and they shoot him. Now the Jew is left. I went to see the psychologist from my high school. He said that he would be my therapist starting next week. And the Jew says, old age. Okay, so next topic and last topic, you did see the first episode of A Friend of the Family, right? I did. And uh, everybody out there, stick around after Sona's comments because I had a conversation with my sister. <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> well, she's seen all four episodes. So, uh, and she has quite a take on this show. So anyway, <laughs> stick around for that. <laughs> I may not agree with her take at all, but nonetheless. Oh, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, um, but, uh, but what, what did you think about the show? I enjoyed this episode. I like these actors. Generally, I was convinced going into it. I know nothing about it going into it. Okay. Not even how this story worked out in real life, but I was convinced that, um, Colin Hanks would be the bad guy because of Dexter. Right. So so that took a little bit of processing on my part (laughs) to figure out who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. It is. I mean, the nice guy from the office. So confusing. So, um, <laughs> but the, but the an- annoying guy from White Lotus, though. So. <laughs> oh, fair. Yes. Um, although, you know, I took his side in White Lotus more than I think yeah. I was supposed to. So, <laughs> right. I mean, if you pay for something, you should get it. So, <laughs> um, I thought this they did a nice job capturing the era, right, yes. of mm-hmm. like that time period. It felt very genuine. I like Anna Paquin enough. I'm like not a super fan of hers, but I enjoy watching her. Um, And I thought she was really good here. You know, I thought really kind of creepy how everyone was named Bob, but that's neither (laughs) here nor there. (laughs) Um, I I thought it was interesting, just the setup of this culture where adults are spending so much time with kids that are not their own, because that is not something in today's society that we see as normal, right? Um, if you're not a family member or like a family member, I mean, I know they're calling him Brother B, but right, like truly, you know, someone like like you are to me, someone that I've known for decades, right? So you're like my family. Yeah, I would leave my kid with you. I don't think you'd want to be alone with my kid for a prolonged amount of time. And I would please, blame please you. Please don't. But, um, <laughs> but I would, you know, I would trust you. But, you know, that the the number of people that are in that circle is very small. So yeah. the way it felt natural to them to have that, um, have their kids spending time with a stranger was a little bit surprising to me, but, you know, maybe just times have changed type of thing. Very interesting, the sexual tension that they're trying to start between Anna Paquin and Jake Lacey's characters yeah, and how that plays into her decision-making. The end moments were very strange to me with the motorhome and the yes. automated recording. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. sure what becomes of that, obviously, mm-hmm. but yeah. like very strange note. Like I thought they would just end it with her waking up in the motorhome. But I mean, certainly an interesting story and really fascinating that it's based on something that really happened. Right. And if I'd had more time, I would have looked up how this all turned out just out of my own curiosity. Yeah, what I would recommend to you, if you do want to see how it all pl- pans out, you can watch a documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix, which is only an hour and a half long, so you can knock the whole thing out. 
instead of watching, I think it's nine episodes of this show, nine, this little very long run, or maybe even 10, which, which four of them are available now. So you can get almost halfway through the season uh, right away. Oh, and interesting references to mental health issues as well, yes, I'll yes. say. Yeah. You know, the way the offhandedly, oh, because of the depression. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so I, I just thought it was interesting that, um, you know, in that time that they were even talking about it is interesting, I think, from my right. very um, vague recollection. And then the offhanded way that they're talking about it is interesting as well. Yeah, I think this is before we have this whole entire culture of self-help and maybe just yeah, the beginning absolutely. of that. Right, I think it's when it's right. kind of you see a bunch of trends here, maybe experimenting with, you know, their own Mormon version, reserve version of swinging, although that gets weirder as it goes along. You'll see if you follow along the show or if you watch the documentary. Um also Well, you know, this is a complete tangent, but yeah. apparently, apparently, because I have not watched this. Maybe August around, there was a giant scandal on TikTok about Mormon moms. Did, did you hear about that? No, I didn't hear about this. And this like soft swinging lifestyle that they all like these Mormon mom blog mom TikTokers that were very famous. Um, there was a huge scandal because someone exposed them for like swinging with each other. But I guess it was soft swinging where nobody actually has sex. And then one of the couples split up and I mean, my um, interaction with this was reading blog articles because they seem fascinating, but not enough for me to actually click through to these TikToks and watch them. Just you said Mormons and swinging, and it reminded me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's kind of what you see here in the show. You'll see over time. And uh, so maybe there is some aspect of that that isn't that, that I'm, once again, culturally not aware of. But that was something that's played it with here as well. But also, you know, like you mentioned, there is a whole situation here where this is like kind of the peak of everybody talking about alien abductions and stuff like that, which loosely plays into this story as well. Actually, not so loosely, to be honest with you. But another thing that I thought was interesting in just watching this, you know, we're looking at the the patient where we just talked about Dahmer and now we have like a third sociopath, but it's almost like a different type of sociopath. He is so much of a social engineer. He knows that he is, he's got this eye on the prize of getting this young girl and mm-hmm. he is manipulating everybody around him. Mm-hmm. To... He knows how to charm people to get what he wants. You can see, though, Colin Hanks's alarm bells are going yes. off. Yes. And he's trying to still do the polite thing, but like assert himself to keep control of the situation. He's failing at the moment. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. So many times you hear about things that like people get away with because the other party was struggling with trying yes. to be nice yep. and trying to be polite. Yep. And that's how this really awful thing happened because no one was willing to be seen as mean or rude. Right. That's an excellent point to make. And anybody, <laughs> I don't know who I would recommend this movie to, by the way, uh, I've watched it <laughs> and my sister's watched it and we haven't talked about it because this is one of the most upsetting movies I've ever seen in my life, but it's also a very good movie and it's available on Shutter right now. And it's called Speak No Evil. And it's about this family who meets another family when they're on vacation and they get invited to stay out at their house. And it's exactly what you're describing. It's all these politenesses where the predators are manipulating them by saying like, why are you being so rude? Why would you say that? Why would you think that of me? And you just know that this family is falling into this trap and it is (laughs) claustrophobic. It is terrifying. And it is really an interesting film, but if that sounds, if you want to be very, very upset, I mean, it's one of the most upsetting films you ever watch. If you really want to be upset, you can watch that film. 
Uh, it's it is have subtitles, obviously. I, although much of it's in English, by the way, because they're from two different countries, so they often speak to each other in English. So I'd say more than half the dialogue is in English, so it's pretty easy to follow along. But I only bring it up. I would not recommend this because it's such an upsetting film, and it probably has a very limited audience. But it is very much about, you know, in a fictionalized way, about this type of predator, someone who is basically a bully who is making you feel bad. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> for not being submissive enough to them, right? And mm -hmm. I think that is something that is being played with here as well. But Sona, you have got to see that documentary, or if you want to keep watching the show, I would recommend it's pretty good. You may want to just see the direction the story goes in, or at least read the Wikipedia article, because this story goes in such bananas directions that at this moment, you may feel sympathy for the family. And by the way, courageous of them to be so upfront about everything that happened. There's a lot of really embarrassing things that happened to them. So they have opened up about mm -hmm. all this. Mm -hmm. And you see that they've definitely participated. You know, they're literally opened the show with uh, Jan talking about her experience and saying that unlike the Donner yes. case, this is something that they participated in. Yeah. And all that being said, she's making this argument that I want people to know about this because it could happen to anyone. Wait till you see what happens in this show. It's like this, honestly, this You're guy. like, no, this could not This guy <laughs> looked for these people very, very long time because no, this would not happen to anybody. Not, I'm sorry, this has not happened to everybody. There's definitely people <laughs> this would happen to, you know, like maybe people who are overly trusting, but man, this would not happen to everybody. I mean, there's one minor spoiler. I will let you know. This isn't the only time he abducts the kid. <laughs> they let him back into their lives afterwards. So anyway, you got to see. Well, you know, their kids it. were the same age and they just lived two streets over. You know how desperate you exactly. are to have your kids you know, play with someone else gonna sometimes. <laughs> Who's going to watch the kids? Most convenient option. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to make fun of everybody. Those people are alive. I don't want to make fun of them, but man. Fair. I, okay, I, fair, fair. <laughs> and it is terrible what happened to them. Get me, don't get me wrong. But I mean, I still... I do and i have this conversation with my sister uh, you know uh, when we discuss it as well i do think what is the value of seeing this because i, I mean honestly the audience for this is like a teenage daughter <laughs> be like don't trust anybody like you know don't mm -hmm, trust anyone mm -hmm. on tiktok this could happen to you because yeah. other than like after school special scare tactics i mean who is going to see this and be like i relate to this story <laughs> like i said i'm sure you relate to aspects of it but man like when you get into the weeds on this story you're like i don't know <laughs> i don't know about that so but anybody who wants a shortcut to hearing that whole entire thing uh abducted in plain sight was a very popular documentary on netflix and you can still watch it there and it's only an hour and a half so you can knock the whole thing out and boy what a doozy of a story this one is okay. all right thank you sona thank you all right and watch the watcher Yes, I'm so looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm afraid Despite of what- Despite my Ryan Murphy <laughs> exactly. hesitance. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, American Horror Story NYC mm -hmm. is coming next week. So more Ryan Murphy on the way. Um, I'm not going to watch it. It's like a threat. <laughs> There's like 13 seasons of this show. Did you know this? Like, <laughs> I can't believe this thing's still on the air. It's incredible. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. No one thinks that their best friend is a monster, but he has all the hallmarks of a psychopathic personality. Happy birthday, Jan. Hi! Bro.
Robert Birchstall doesn't feel emotions the way that we do. He will lie and manipulate to get the only thing that he wants. You remember what I told you? Oh, you sure are special. Who is her father? Him or me? If you knew something, you would tell us, right? Your husband kidnapped her. Again! Where is Jan? Where is she? There's no telling what he is capable of. All right, Celia. So if anyone happens to be watching A Friend of the Family on Peacock, for anybody who happens to have Peacock, maybe you have it for this very week so you can watch the Halloween movie or you you have it carried over because you're taking advantage of that one, what is it, $1.99 per month deal that they have right now. So yeah, it's a really good deal. It's a bargain. So if by chance you do have Peacock, there is this new series called A Friend of the Family based on the documentary Abducted in Plain Sight, which of course is based on a true story or a documentary of a true story. And it is a bizarre, bizarre case. So I had a few things I want to talk to you about, Celia, your experience of the show. I think it's very, very well made, by the way. But I have questions, and we'll get around to this, I'm sure. Like, what's the value of making this thing? <laughs> Which I think dovetails nicely with our conversation of the Dahmer show recently, right? Once again, the question mark of how valuable is it making this story or making this story? I figured it out. Oh, you did? Okay, good. Yes. And the other thing I wanted to touch base with you, by the way, just kind of circle things together, we can slightly talk about when I was watching this, you know what I kept thinking about? I kept thinking about that movie I made you watch, uh, Speak No Evil, because I'm thinking about- That was so good. (laughs) But I was also, and we don't want to spoil that. That's available on Shudder for anybody who wants to see that. It did make me think about that because of this behavior where the person who's your predator is like making you feel guilty (laughs) for not being like the correct degree of submissive to them. And uh, anyway, so it did make me think about that. There's some real psychology that's being played out here, which I do find interesting. Off the top here, what'd you think of the show just in general, the feel of it, the look of it, the acting, et cetera? It reminded me of- Having just watched Dahmer, I felt like I was watching, you know, when you watch American Horror Story Mm -hmm. and each season has a different American horror. Mm -hmm. That's what I felt like I was watching. I'm like, oh, look again. And then I started looking at it, not through our lens, because, again, this is the same situation where we're watching Dahmer and we live Dahmer. Right. And now we're watching this and <laughs> we were like, we didn't live it. Luckily, but we yes, didn't, we were around it, at that time, but a conversation that was had because oh, yeah. it was happening oh, it was at that time. Happened. Usually famous. Yes. This is kind of the same thing. Like not that we maybe heard conversations about this. This is a little bit before that. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, it's like mid to, I mean, we're talking about this show. The storyline begins in 72 when they first meet and it goes through 75, 76. I think this series goes through. So yeah, we were young, very young, obviously, but I mean, we did too young to have processed it, (laughs) but we have, we have processed it in the way that we've seen the documentary. We knew this occurred and it was a real thing and they're doing a really good job of portraying that like they did with Dahmer. The problem I'm having, it's like ugly and uncomfortable to watch. It's cringy. Oh yeah. It's, it's all like, you're like, oh my gosh, kind of horrified. You start getting angry at these people because 
I, I assume I would not act like this. Right. I've never been in these situations, you know, and I don't want to be. Then I realized who the audience is. Cause I'm like, who watches this? Why am I watching this? Right. You know, cause I have morbid fascination, so I'm going to watch it. Right. But why would anyone else watch it? I think everybody's watching it for morbid fascination. Isn't that why true crime is so popular? I think it's true. But then I realized the kids have a completely different reaction to Dahmer than I had. Right. They are the audience. They were watching it like it was a horror movie. Right. They don't even know what happened to him. They're like, don't tell me what happened to him. Like right. they have right. no clue. So they're watching this like a thriller. Right, right. And I'm watching this. Oh, it's so ugly. I'm and I cringe. But they're not. They're watching it like, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Like it's a fictional movie. Right. So, you know, if you read it like a fictional movie, it's pretty fascinating. And there is a different feel to it. That's what I had to do to watch this show, because I know it really happened and I have already seen the documentary. <laughs> But what if I was watching it like it was a thriller? I'd be like thrilled. I disagree slightly with that. The reviews have been very positive for this. And I thought it was really, really well made, especially that first episode, really excellently well directed. Uh, and another compliment I'll pay to this show is that I'm just grooving on this great soundtrack because they have some obvious choices. Usually you set a movie in the 90s or the 70s, you have all these obvious choices on the soundtrack. This has some of those you know, obvious hit singles from that time, but they have a lot of songs that I kind of remember. Like maybe they were songs that barely cracked the top 40 or something, but they were on the radio back at that time. And I honestly feel like some of these songs, I have not heard them in 35 years. And I'm like, wow, I haven't heard that song in so long. So I'm really loving the feel of this particular time, which like you said, yes. I was so young at the time that it's kind of a, a flashback. But here's my point. You know, I'm trying not to spoil anything. So we can get into spoilers, but right off the top, I would say no spoilers here. I find it troubling to watch this in a way even more than the Dahmer documentary for me, because with the Dahmer thing, I feel like the focus, whether it was earnest or not, the focus on the victims kind of gave that show a purpose to kind of explore, explain how all these people allowed this to happen so many times. And I mentioned like John Wayne Gacy has another case, very, very similar where people just look the other way for so long. And, uh, and the cops obviously completely screwed up multiple times. Same thing with the Gacy case. So I think that there's some value in exposing that to people. People literally on the internet seem shocked by the way that that story unfolded. That my point with this show is I watch this and I don't even get that level of value. I mean, it's very specific about seeing this person who has really sought out these incredibly naive people. Obviously, he's like a predator. And by the way, he did this to other families too. So this was just a pattern for him. So he's looking for these specific gullible people to manipulate. And I honestly don't know, like, what is the value in that? I mean, unless you're one of the pool of these people who naively fall into one of these traps, who's the audience for this? I mean, not the audience, the general public audience who was just there to watch a car wreck. I'm talking about who is the audience that is going to get something of value from this show? <laughs> That's my question. Well, it reads like a thriller. So, okay. Say I was, I don't know, 15, 16 years old and I'm watching this because I would. They're like, that's inappropriate. I'd still watch it. I would be horrified and I'd be confused and I would wonder where is this going? And it would be thrilling because of that. That's how I read it. So if you read it like that, it's pretty fascinating. I honestly feel like the only audience for this show that can get anything out of it 
other than like I said, just some nostalgia and some, you know, cool 70s styles and the design work and the performances here. The only thing that's of any kind of actual value here is <laughs> like I would show this to like a teenage daughter of mine being like, see, when I tell you, not <laughs> yeah. to, especially with it, you know, you haven't, you haven't, I don't know if you remember the documentary, but the next chapter in this story is so bonkers that it really is like kind of like a, uh, because at this point, as the girl gets older, she has more agency in this whole entire thing. And like I said, it's almost as if this value here is like, show this to your teenage daughter. So they run around with that creeper that he met, they met on TikTok, right? Like that is literally the only added value here. Because my point is, this is not a universal story. A horror movie, oftentimes what makes you sympathize with, for example, even Barbarian is how many times have you shown up at a Airbnb and what's going on and what's that sound and why is that door locked and maybe there's someone else there because it was double booked like you're kind of sitting there going like I can empathize with the situation this person is in this is like I wouldn't do that <laughs> and I wouldn't do that yes and, and I definitely wouldn't do that that's and, what I oh meant my by god it I would not do you angry <laughs> it does I yeah. would have like such fury at this point and I'm nice but I don't know how I'd react to this but it would be not like this. Here's a damning point I'll make when I was just doing some research on this show. I read an interview with one of the directors of the show saying that there was one woman who was the primary editor for the entire series. And when she was almost done editing this series, she needed to take a six week break away from it because she was so angry at the parents' decisions. She could not finish editing the show. <laughs> I, I'm and these are the people infuriating. And these are the people who are making the show. So my question is, what is the purpose of showing this again? I don't understand the purpose. Maybe just to evoke emotions because I did have very strong ones. When I was watching this, I went from disbelief to just like fury at, at the parents but also I just wanted to punch him in the face. Right. Like my reactions to this whole thing were real strong. And there was a little bit of a funny, this is so not funny, but like, can I spoil? Yeah, let's get into spoilers because I actually want to talk about stuff that's going to happen in the future via the documentary. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, at this point, you know, anybody who's interested in this, I think it's excellently ma made across the board. Performances are very good. And before you leave on, if you are going to opt out at this moment and avoid spoilers, I would say that I don't want to, uh, my anger at the parents and the anger at the situation and this ridiculous even making of the show, all that criticism, I don't want to criticize the parents who you know are brave enough to have made this documentary, to have gone on a talk circuit, to publicize this to other potential victims of this person. So I understand they made terrible decisions and I don't want to be judgmental about the terrible decisions they made. I just am asking the question as to what is the purpose of now once again, and I know they're involved with this, so they're not like victims here going through all this again, <laughs> what value does that add to anyone who's watching it basically? So if this sounds intriguing to you, then check it out. It's very well made. But it really is like a cautionary tale as you yes, were saying. Absolutely. So there's that. Yeah. Like I said, it's like an after-school special, but that you never want to have your kids watch unsupervised. It's <laughs> anyway. so. We can't get into spoilers now. Yes, the whole thing is completely surreal. Yes, now I mean they do touch on some things that I think are worth exploring a little bit. Like, for example, 
Mormonism, not only as a religion, I think religious people in general are probably more susceptible to being manipulated by other people because they have these kind of more devout beliefs. And Mormonism may be a little bit more so because they do have some kind of, to our eyes, a little more fantastical view of religious life. I'm not a religious person, so I'm not going to judge one religion over another. They are kind of hinting at a little bit of that. It was the 70s, things were a little bit more laissez-faire. But the point is, you know, and this is just hinting at stuff that will be revealed over the course of this show. Going back to the Dahmer side of things, this guy, this is something they've, you know, ignored in telling this story, which I think they should have included, but maybe they didn't want the parents to look even worse. This guy was currently inside of the Mormon church being treated as a pedophile, as a pedophile. So he had been trying to approach other girls before this point. It was kind of not very well known, but the people close to him knew this was happening. He was in counseling within the Mormon church for this problem. You know, when this girl disappeared, that psychiatrist that reaches out to the cops, once again, he had been brought in by the Mormon church to counsel this guy. So they knew that he had this predilection for pedophilia. You know, that's just something that was happening contemporaneous to what they're showing that they didn't go into detail. But beyond that point in the future, he had apparently done this to multiple families. He tried to infiltrate multiple families. His wife was obviously a facilitator this whole entire time because she had been down this road many times. She knew when he's showing up in another family's house that he's interested in one of the kids. Repeatedly, these families are just like, okay, now you're creepy. We got to get you out of here. I just want to point out, I love the actor who plays the FBI agent because the, <laughs> so incredulous. the shadows of disbelief that cross his <laughs> yes, face yes. throughout like the interrogation. And he stays professional the whole time. Yeah. But like you see like the eyebrows. <laughs> yes. I'm like, who's that guy? That guy is uh, doing a really good job suspending belief throughout like the interrogation of the parents. But it, it's very good. It's funny in this show, when you see the documentary, which I just rewatched recently to talk to about this with Sona, the DA and the cops actually are apologetic to the family in some ways. They're like, you know, they were brave to come to us and said what they did. They don't make them look like total idiots to send the marriage certificate back because they had sent the marriage certificate back to Mexico to have the marriage annulled. So it's not like they were just idiots sending stuff away. They sent it for a specific purpose, but they should have copied it, obviously. Some of those things that make the the family look even dumber. But once again, something they excised that is in the documentary that is not in is when the cops say, hold on a second. So you're telling me that this guy for months leading up to now was laying in bed with your daughter and uh, you guys didn't think that was weird. It is weirder than that. Apparently the tapes he was listening to were from some guy in California who supposedly was going to cure people who were pedophiles. And he was laying next to her in bed, listening to this tapes which they play in a documentary, by the way. They're like, He's, she's caressing your body. You can hear the ocean. Oh my right? God. <laughs> and that he was laying there next to her because this was part of his cure. And they believe this, right? But my point is, could you imagine someone goes, hey, look, I am being treated for being a pedophile. So I need to lay down in bed with your daughter to make sure- They that don't I... know what a pedophile is though. No, no, no. They knew exactly what it was. They- didn't have a concept of what a pedophile was, but they knew the definition of it in that moment. So for example, when they were saying, I need to be laying in bed with your daughter while I'm listening to these tapes is to avoid temptation. Like he's literally telling them that it's like, I'm, it's like, um, like exposure therapy, right? Exposure therapy to the fact that I'm sexually attracted to your daughter. <laughs> in other words, they knew that he wasn't just like, I need a comfortable bed to lay in. It's like, no, no, no. For this to work, I have to be laying in bed with a young girl because young girls are my sexual attraction, right? So it's just like, okay, and you're letting him do this? 
It's, it's like these people met the cool kid. They've always wanted to be cool right. and they, they, he charms them as opposed yes. to, again, we keep comparing to Dahmer's all yes. like. Oh, it's very different than the Dahmer situation. And yes. like creepy and you're like, ew, don't talk to me. Yeah. This guy's all like charm and compliments and he has mesmerized these people who probably have never been the cool kids. And now they're like, he's a cool kid and he wants to hang out with us. Like, and then they let him do all this crazy stuff and they're all in love with him, even though they're not supposed to be very creepy. Like the scene in the car. <laughs> yes. It's like, what? There's no way. That's another scene, by the way. You can convince me yes. to do that. Once again, to that point, exactly. You know, I go back to the fact of like, what is the value of showing us this? That detail in the story, which obviously is true. It actually did happen. But that detail in the story is so preposterous. Like the idea of being like, watch out, everybody. This can happen to you. It's like, absolutely not. This cannot happen, this happen <laughs> yes, to you. There this, is a very, there's very no small way. percentage of the population. I feel like, oh, I don't want to be mean. Yeah. So let me you know, do that. And I, I don't just, want to leave you hanging. Yeah, that that's not nice. I don't want you to suffer. Yeah, exactly. I really don't. So I, you know, oh, I, I can goodness. do Let this. Let me just give you a hand. No pun intended. I won't look at. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean, that's crazy. And then other crazy stuff, like when he kidnaps this poor girl and she wakes up tied up and there is what looks like a little speaker going. Yes. yes. The UFO I am an thing. like you are an alien. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that, which, you, you have to save the world with which, your male companion. Which, which, by the way, that part of it is actually creepy and believable. If this was happening, not when he's running away with her, what was his plan there? Like he was just going to get away with it somehow? It, bizarre, right? And that is something that might be educational for people. I find it very clever that what he does is he is being like the, I don't know what's going on here. And she's like, let me tell you what's going on here, right? So as soon as yeah. like, he's put her in control, he's not telling her this is what you have to do. It's very much the way cults work, by the way, right? So this is very clever what he's doing there. And it does make you think about that period of time. Everybody was obsessed with UFOs. People believed in UFO um, abductions. I mean, you would just turn on the news and stuff and people were talking about UFO abductions constantly, right? So people did believe this stuff back then. So it was different, uh, especially kids. You can only imagine every single kid. That's why like Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And you know, you think about all those massive star, um, uh, science fiction movies from that time. It's why science fiction became so popular at that period of time. So I, I believe that somewhat. She's extremely young. You know, I think eventually in this show, she's going to be 16. There's another abduction. I don't want to spoil too much, but there's another abduction that he's going to do again. And she's 16 at that point. But I mean, this started when she was like 11, right? So it's like she was very, very young, basically being brainwashed by this guy. And, you know, he's brainwashing the entire family. He's like literally that that part in the car is leg legitimately true where he, once again, like a cult member or something where you're trying to separate people from their family and their loved ones over time. He's like, I'll pick up the kids. I'll pick them up after school. And every single day, it's just like, you know, who do you like best in the world other than your parents? And before you know it, it's like, who's your favorite person in the world? Me. <laughs> and don't let your dad touch you anymore. Right. So it's like, it's a slow progress of him doing this. And he's like, it's separating. so tragic because he's telling this little girl that if you don't, you and your male companion, blah, blah, right. blah, right. her sister will go yes. blind. The other sister will take her place. So she's going to get raped instead. Yes. And all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, if I was a little kid, that would have been, oh my God, such a gigantic worry. The the burden of that, he's an amazingly crazy manipulator. And he charms like her in 
he's like, no, it was all about you because I love you. I did all of this to be near you. And she's so flattered by this. That's what he did to his wife. His wife is just going along with it all. Yep. And where the show goes next is so preposterous based on the documentary. I can't imagine, once again, talking about stuff that hasn't aired yet, but based on the documentary, that what's coming next, because in the next phase of this, he like now starts a sexual relationship with the mom. She buys into this whole thing. She divorces the dad, right? The dad leaves the house and he moves in. And now he starts to openly, openly have sex with the daughter in the same house with the mom. You know, my point is when we get to that and everything that comes after that in this show, how much sympathy are we going to have for these parents? Like, it is nuts. It is absolutely nuts. <laughs> it is. Carlos can't watch this. He goes, I can't watch this. He couldn't watch Dahmer either. Like he got through about half of it and he goes, I can't watch this because it's too dreary and not uplifting in any way. The whole thing. It's crazy. And I, and I don't know, considering how many episodes, I don't know if I can keep watching. (laughs) I don't know if I keep watching. I know. See that (laughs) this is the reaction people are having, but I'm gonna, because, and we all know this. I must finish everything. I have to finish it. So yeah, I'm going to watch it. So I don't know what kind of recommendation that is. <laughs> I know, I know. But it is like one long thriller, especially if you don't know what's happening. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> it's strange because the you know on paper, I would, whenever these kind of true crime shows come on, I pretty much don't watch them, go out of my way to, not go out of my way, but just don't prioritize it unless I hear really positive things about it. And honestly, the Dahmer show had pretty mixed reviews, although audiences are very strong on it. Uh, I watched the Dahmer thing because it has become a complete and utter phenomenon. I kind of knew that was going to happen right away when the viewership numbers were so high. And by the way, just so you know, they just announced today that within three weeks now, the Dahmer show is the second most popular. I mean, if you include foreign language, it's the third most popular show they've ever had on Netflix. So only Squid Game number one, Stranger Things season four, number two, and now Dahmer. And Dahmer's only three weeks into this But I bet you if this show was on Netflix and had that much more exposure, people would watch it. Oh, yeah. I I don't know who's going to watch this on Peacock. That's the curse of it on Peacock. Exactly. That's the curse of it being on this this network because eventually, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this does end up on Netflix. And by the way, Netflix had a huge success when they had that documentary on that that tells the same story. And, you know, they would just pipe this to the exact same people. And I'm sure the viewership would be huge. But I don't think a lot of people are going to watch this. But I still come back to the fact that here we have something that has a lot of talent involved, uh, very talented director directing the pilot and some of the other episodes as well. You have everything design-wise beautifully done. The acting is terrific across the board. Everyone's giving great performances, fleshing out these characters. I just wonder, like, why? <laughs> why, are <we> doing, <laughs> why are we doing all this? I don't understand why all these people are attracted to telling this story. And it's like, October. I know, but I mean, they didn't shoot this. It's October, like but... horror movie time. This is, this is again, <laughs> a, not, it, a version yeah. of kind of horror. It's horrific. It is horrific and disturbing and uncomfortable. Our recommendation, <laughs> it's so uncomfortable and disturbing. You have to see it. <laughs> well, By I the way. I don't recommend people watch this. <laughs> I would say if you really need to know what happens, watch the documentary. I, I'm going to watch it. If anyone likes cringe, though, definitely watch it. This is for you. I guess. It's real uncomfortable to watch. Oh, yeah. It's very cringy. Anybody who knows the original story, you can only imagine the cringe factor here. <laughs> Watching <laughs> but, uh, it play out is, is pretty um, 
like disturbing. Like the lady, she had to take off six weeks just to calm down. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. It, it, that is the reaction. And I just want to do a shout out to Peacock. Yeah. Like the price is really great. And they have really good stuff on Peacock, by the way. No, it doesn't have as big amount. Like you can't find anything on it. But the stuff that's on it is quite quality. You know what? I can, since we were talking about Peacock, rarely have this opportunity to recommend something from Peacock that you should watch if you haven't seen it yet. And everybody should watch this. It's not as good um, as it could be, I would say, but it's still different and definitely in the theme of Halloween. And it's called, I think it's called Wolf Like Me. Have you seen this? Oh, this sounds very familiar. This show is on Peacock. It is called Wolf Like Me. It is definitely in the horror genre, has horror elements to it, but definitely not straight up horror, but still definitely appropriate for the season. I don't want to give too many details away in the plot, but it stars Isla Fisher and Josh Gad. And more importantly, it is written and directed by Abe Forsyth, who on your recommendation, Celia, you told me to watch Little Monsters on Hulu. Oh, yeah. And I really love Little Monsters. And this is from the same guy who wrote and directed that. So this is his follow-up project. It is really entertaining. It's about Josh Gad. He is dealing with a loss in his life. His wife has passed away. It's a kind of an anniversary. He meets Isla Fisher and they start this romance, but it's a very odd romance because someone's keeping a secret. And I don't think it's much of a secret, by the way, based on the title of the show, but you can probably guess what the secret is, but supposedly you're not supposed to give it away. So I won't, even though it's pretty obvious within the first episode, I would say. <laughs> But anyway, my point is that it is like Little Monsters. It has elements that are funny. It has elements that are very touching. Uh, the performances are really strong. Not as good as Little Monsters, I think, but uh, I definitely recommend it. And if, hey, if you got Peacock, this is a Peacock original. It is very good. And uh, hey, why not watch it if you already have Peacock and watch that over <laughs> a friend in the family or at least watch both. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you like cringe, seriously. Unless you like for cringe. the cringe lovers, this is a crazy show. It. Absolutely, everything is. A Watch cringe. this show. <laughs> All right. Do you have any recommendations before we wrap up? No, I think like I'm just following your lead with these, you know, things to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We were going to go see Smile tomorrow, but I don't know if we're going to see that. I recommend Smile. Oh, that's a couple of things. One piece of news I told you was the Dahmer thing is massively successful. The second thing is that Smile one of those really rare word of mouth phenomena where its second week drop off from week one to week two was the smallest drop off all year long. And, and the big smallest drop off for many years, by the way, extremely rare for horror movies. Horror movies usually drop 50% because everybody wants to run out to be the first one to see it. And even more impressive is this movie came out last week overseas and it did okay. Some places it did well, some places it just did all right. And in the second weekend, it didn't only match its first weekend box office overseas. It almost doubled its box office between week one and week two. So this word of mouth is spreading like crazy. And I can understand why. It is a very entertaining. It is like The Ring in the fact that it's one of those films that word of mouth sustains it because it's one of those films that really surprises you. Even though it borrows a lot of stuff from The Ring, it still is probably one of the most effective horror films I've seen in a while. So I definitely am on board with all that strong word of mouth. Well, I, maybe I, I will you guys should go it check it out. You guys should check it out. Yeah, we were going to. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.